0: Well, church, we are right in the middle of a series called The Gift, in which we are doing a deep dive look at the gift or grace of God, not only what it is and how it works in our lives, but also uh, a deeper appreciation of uh, all the different ways that we can live it out. And uh, today, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there or turn on your Bible and navigate there. Uh, If you don't have a Bible and would like one, we do have some print uh, versions available in the back of the room. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those as our gift to you. Uh, And for those of you that are online who are watching, uh, you can simply go to Bible.com if you'd like and find Ephesians chapter 1 there. Now, uh, did you guys appreciate the band uh, just a few moments ago and uh, just the ministry that they do here? So that crew is going to be this Saturday night. I know Amy uh, mentioned the patio concert. Uh, They're going to be doing a production called Behold the Lamb out on the patio. And I'd encourage you, this is a great opportunity to slow down and to focus your minds and your hearts on uh, Jesus. Again, that's uh, Saturday, uh, 6 o'clock on the patio. And they'll be going through uh, Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb. And if you're not in a position to be able to gather in person but would be able to gather in your car, we will be broadcasting it on FM radio so you can... Park in the parking lot, watch the concert, and tune in via FM radio. Uh, also, I want to encourage you all, if you haven't had a chance yet, on your way in, you should have seen tables in the back uh, with ornaments that look like this. This is a very handsome ornament, if you do, uh, if you do not mind my saying so myself. Uh, we as a church family want to make sure uh, that at the end of every year, we are giving ourselves the opportunity to note and to share Uh, God's goodness and how he has been good to us. Now, uh, this is something we've done last year. Uh, We're doing it again this year. And so we're asking this question. What is one gift that God gave you in 2020 that you are grateful for? Now, I know that there's a lot that's gone on in 2020 that uh, we might not count as a gift from God. And the church grumbled together in solidarity. And yet, it is often in seasons of disappointment, frustration, anger, uh, uh, confusion. It's often in those seasons that God gives to us some of his greatest, most profound gifts. And so I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how God's working in your life. I know he's been working a lot in my life. And I would encourage you to write that on the ornament and then take your ornament. And again, it can be anonymous. You can put your name on it. Uh, uh, take the ornament and place it on the tree uh, that's in the lobby. And so this is an opportunity again for us as a church family to give thanks or to return God's goodness back to him through the act of giving thanks. And we're going to do that as a church family by placing these on the Christmas tree in the lobby. You can do that on your way out. We'll have it up uh, available for you next week and the week after as well. Now we have been, oh by the way, for those of you that are watching online, I know that you can't be here right now for the paper version of the ornament. But if you uh, would please fill out uh, the form at dsbc.me slash 2020 thanks. You should see it on your screen. Uh, Fill that out. It's a simple form uh, with what you would like on the ornament. And then uh, one of our team members will put that on a paper ornament for you and make sure that that gets on the tree uh, on your behalf. And so we'd love to have you uh, join us and participate in that. Now, We're in the middle of this series. We're looking at the gift of God or the grace gift of God, and I've got a question for you. How many of you have ever heard the song or heard of the song, Amazing Grace? You guys heard that song before? How many of you have ever been at like a dinner table or something and heard someone say, would someone please say grace? You guys ever heard that before? Uh, back when I did ballet, um, one of the th- OK, I didn't do ballet, but if I did ballet, one of the things that the coach or the ballet instructor would likely have said to me is, "That is not, Caleb, you are not performing very gracefully." Hmm? Isn't that interesting that we use the word grace in all of these different ways, right? We talk about uh, saying grace. We talk about being graceful or even acting gracefully. We talk about the amazing grace of God or receiving God's grace. And, and the reason that, one of the reasons why we're in this study is to do a, a deeper look at the word that, and frankly, at least for me, much of my life I just took for granted. In fact, I would encourage you, you don't have to answer this out loud, but if you were pushed to, to, to define grace... What words would you use? You see, even in all of those uses of the words, saying grace, uh, uh, being graceful, it's, it's got this wide spectrum of meaning in English. And it's the same in uh, Greek, which if you have a, a Bible in your newer Testament, and the majority of the New Testament uh, was written in Greek, wasn't written in English, what we generally read is Uh, translations from Greek, and sometimes when something gets translated, you guys know this, have you guys ever heard the uh, term uh, lost in translation? sometimes there'll be like a turn of phrase or a way that uh, a particular culture at a particular time will use a phrase or word. And sometimes if you're interpreting it, you know, many, many, many years later, or you're interpreting it into another language, sometimes you can lose some of the nuance. And so I'm so thankful that we get to uh, uh, learn from people who know Greek and who know about uh, uh, Greek at the time that Jesus was cruising around, and we're looking at this Greek word, which often gets translated as grace. Uh, it's charis, and it's it, the the word grace is wrapped up in gift language. It's wrapped up in a boat in gift. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. The the dad jokes. We'll stop. We'll press pause on the dad jokes. The language of grace is wrapped up in gift language, the language of grace. When when the New Testament uses the language of grace, it can can, uh, uh, mean anything in this spectrum of meaning, that it's an actual gift, the actual thing, right? It can also mean favor, the attitude of the gift giver towards the recipient, Hmm? Grace can also speak to, charis can also speak to the attitude or posture of the gift giver towards the recipient. It can also mean, uh, generally speaking, what we refer to as the grace of God, disposition. It can also mean uh, the character quality of the gift giver, namely their gracious, their gracious person. It can also talk about the response of the recipient to the gift, namely Thanks. Or being thankful. In fact, if you grew up in a liturgical church tradition, which I know not all of us grew up in church, and, and I know that there are many of us watching online or here in person who are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, and we have very little church background, and I'm so glad you're here because this message of God's grace is the, uh, the bedrock of what it means to follow Jesus. And so I'm so glad you're here. But for those of us that did grow up in maybe a liturgical church tradition, you may have heard uh, uh, communion or Lord's table referred to as Eucharist, Eucharist, right? Eucharist, which is this idea of thanksgiving. So saying grace, right? you, You guys have ever been at a dinner and someone says, would someone please say grace? That's returning thanks for the gift that's on the plate, hmm? Do you see how this word grace can have this wide spectrum of meaning? Great, okay. I just want to make sure. So we have been looking at some of the different aspects of the perfections of God' grace, God's grace. And so grace is amazing because it is, number one, it is given without regard to the worth of the recipient. We covered that in the first week, and if you missed it, I'd encourage you to visit DSBC.church and check it out because it sets the foundation of the rest of our series. Uh, second, it is given it is not given, excuse me, out of obligation. Hey everyone, Merry Christmas. Did you know that in 19 days, we will celebrate Christmas? Do you feel, now let me ask you a question. For some of us, we're like, yes, I love Christmas. And I personally love Christmas. I put up my tree uh, the first week of November like a real Christian. (laughs) And all of you people like, wait till Thanksgiving. The Lord does not wait for American holidays. Thank you. Now, all of my liturgical friends are like, well, that's not how Advent works. And shh, 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 We're a Bible church. We're non-denominational. We can do what we want with the calendar. Okay. In 19 days, many of us will celebrate. Now, I know with COVID, it's a little bit different, but we will celebrate Christmas. And for most of us, or for, for many of us, we will celebrate it with somebody else. Do you feel any sense of obligation to bring something in a box or bag to give to the other person. Does anyone feel that? Okay, I could tell you that I know that you feel it because Target, Walmart, Amazon, Etsy, they all know that you feel that and that's why they have upcharged everything by 20% are just begging for you to get on their website today. Right? Black Friday is a testament to the fact that we feel obliged to give gifts. Now, the obligation does not diminish the gift, Right? When I graduated uh, from seminary, some of y'all gave me gifts, and you, you felt obliged to do so. And I, I, I was really, like, I loved the gifts, right? Most of them. And the obligation, I knew that people were obliged to do it, but it, and it didn't diminish the gift, right? I mean, just because someone's obliged to do it doesn't mean that it diminishes the gift. But how much more amazing is a gift when it is given without obligation? One of the third reasons why God's gift is amazing, and this is what we're going to zoom in on today, it is super abundantly lavish. Have you guys seen these commercials with the Lexus out front and the bow on it, and the person in their bathrobe with a little cup of coffee, you know, peeking out the window, opening the door, and there is a super abundantly lavish gift out in the driveway. You guys seen these commercials? Has that ever happened to any of you? It's a false gospel, Okay. I, every time one of those things comes on the TV, I, I look at my wife, I'm like, eh. <laughs> and 15 years, she's still not picking it up. Uh, four, God's gift is amazing <laughs> because it is effective in changing things for the better. We're going to zoom in on that over the, the next couple of weeks. But for today, we're going to look at that is super abundantly lavish. We're going to look in Ephesians 1, and here's the one question that we're going to try to answer today, at least in part. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Now, some of you may be asking, Caleb, what does this question have to do with gift-giving or God's grace? What does this question of who is Jesus, what does that have to do with God's grace? And I, would, I think that's a great question I'm so glad you asked. Because Jesus has everything to do with God's grace gift. In fact... On my reading of the scripture, and I'd like to prove it to you today, God's grace, his grace gift to us, is ultimately, uh, uh, is ultimately expressed in Jesus giving himself to us. To put it another way, the, the ultimate expression of God's grace gift is that he has given himself. God's grace is the giving of himself to us. The ultimate gift is Jesus, God in the flesh himself. And I'd like to explore this with you uh, by looking at three different uh, aspects of who Jesus is. Jesus is, number one, the lamb, the life, and the Lord. Jesus is the lamb, the life, and the Lord. Now, if if, if what I'm about to share, just for these next few moments together, if this is actually true, it has radical implications to your life. If it is not true, then this is all dumb. And i like to prove it to you. First of all, Jesus is the lamb. Now, how many of y'all uh, remember high school? Some of us went to high school and we don't remember. It's fine. If you remember high school, do you remember your mascot? Somebody tell me what your mascot was. Come on now. Oh, oh! see, now everyone's chipper and cheer. Uh, what do you got? The saber cats. The eagles. Vikings. Highlander, Rocket. Husky, Rocket. I can't. I can't what is? It? Rattlesnakes, Matadors. Now, what is it? Trojans. Trojans. PV in the house. Okay. Now, have you ever heard? Now, now, I want you just to see what are what's common amongst those mascots. Are those weak or powerful animals or figures? They're powerful. When you pick a mascot, when you pick an animal or an icon to symbolize your team, don't you want, like, boss status? Don't you want something with, like, claws and teeth or guns, cowboys? Like, don't you want some mascot or icon with power? So if you had to pick an animal mascot for Jesus' team, or to put it another way, if Jesus had to pick an animal mascot for his team, what might he pick? Well, he could pick the lions, he could pick the tigers, he could pick the velociraptors, he could pick a shark riding on a velociraptor followed by tigers. He could pick whatever he wanted. But I want you to see that the most common animal image of Jesus' team is a furry quadruped. Now, I just want you to think, if you're creating a religion and you want to expand your religion, and you want to encourage people that your religion, following after you as the religious leader or whatever, that you're going to be powerful, you're going to be courageous, would you have in your short list of uh, uh, mascots a lamb? No. No. (laughs) So why does Jesus pick the lamb? Okay, so this is really and these are some ancient um, icons of Jesus. These are these are uh, symbols in I think they're all in church buildings, whether it's a fresco or, or a stained glass. And they their, their local church families envisioning one of the common images of Jesus in the scripture, namely the image of Jesus as the lamb. And here's why this is important because we're talking about the grace gift of God, right? God gives to us His gift. And he gives to us himself. But I want you to see that it's much more robust than that. Check this out. This is the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, and he is... He's been meditating on uh, uh, the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul, the author of Ephesians, is a Jewish uh, teacher, and so he's meditating on the whole entirety of uh, what we call the Old Testament of, of Hebrew Scripture. And he's trying to put into words, as a pastor to the Ephesian church, he's trying to put into words how the grace gift of God changes us. He's trying to talk about the gift itself, the character of the giver, our response to the reception of the gift, and he keeps using this language of grace or charis. But I want you to see what he does here in the opening of Ephesians uh, 1, chapter, uh, verses 7 through 8. In him, speaking of Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood. TV time out. Why does he use the word redemption? What do you redeem? You redeem something that's generally speaking held captive or enslaved or chained or shackled. Okay? So, this language of redemption is, is that, that God is paying a price to redeem something that's, that's kept, that's held captive, that's imprisoned. So, in Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. Hold up. Now, for those of you that are newer to Jesus, maybe you're newer to church, you're going to totally uh, uh, resonate with this next point. For those of us that grew up in church, I want, us, I want this to serve as a helpful reminder. Do you know how weird it is that we get together with a bunch of people in a room like this and sing about blood all the time? Right? Like, it is weird that we would say things to music. Nothing but the blood. What can wash away my sins? Tied with bleach. No, nothing but the blood. No, blood makes my clothes dirty. Right? Why are we singing about the blood, right? Oh, uh, sometimes we'll say things like, I'm under the blood. Garros." Right? Isn't that weird? Now, so, so I'm going to say it to you, it is weird unless you understand what Paul, the author of Ephesians, understood about blood. Okay? So let's do a quick, uh, quick summary here. First, I want you to see, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Okay, I want to zoom in here, and then we're going to talk more about blood. And all the squeamish people in the house said, amen. Okay, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Remember that language of grace is wrapped up in gift language, right? The grace of God is something that's given as a gift. But I want you to see this this second part, richly poured out. Now, I want to, I just, I don't generally like to do this, but I felt like it might help us if we did it this way. Remember, sometimes we lose things in translation. We're going to go to the Caleb Campbell translation. The riches of his grace that he richly, super abundantly lavished on us. The Apostle Paul is using language that is supposed to make you go, like Keanu Reeves, whoa. Right? This, is, this is not like a $10 gift card to Long John Silver's type gift. This is a super abundantly lavish gift. And it's given out of the super abundant generosity grace of God. God's posture towards us as he's giving to us this gift is of a person who is lavishing someone that he loves with a gift. Do you see it in the text? That he richly poured out, that he super abundantly lavished us with. Now, why are we talking about blood? Uh, I don't know about uh, you, but I know that when I go on my little Amazon or Target registry for gifts which, by the way, I know many of you are asking for the link for me. I'll get that in the next church email. Thank you very much. I know, right? When you sign up for a, uh, a, a registry, how many of you put pint of blood? Like, how many of you have ever opened a gift? You know, you're unwrapping the gift, and you take the little lid off the box, and you're like, ah, blood. Yay. Right? Like, aside from medical professionals and Alice Cooper's family, I don't think anybody is really uh, looking at the gift and saying, blood. Why is Paul talking about through his blood and correlating it with the gift of God? Great question. Let's see if we can explore this together. Number one, the idea of a blood of blood or blood of a lamb is deep within the scriptures. And I'm just going to do, I'm going to do a hundred hour lecture in like six minutes. Is that okay? Okay. And the church said, amen. amen. Because sometimes his sermons feel like 100-hour lectures. Okay, that's okay. Number one, you go to the book of Genesis, which is the beginning of the Bible, you'll find that one of the key characters' name is Abraham. And God promised Abraham a son. And through this son, was, the, the whole world would be blessed. One of Abraham's deepest longing, and he was an elderly man uh, at the time that we pick up his story that I'm about to reference, he finally, uh, God finally gives to him a son. His name is Isaac and then and i know that this is weird and i know that this is hard and i just want to encourage you if you think this is weird if you think this is strange if you think this is if this is difficult keep studying keep looking and i'd love to talk to you more about it but this is what god says to abraham abraham take your son your one and only son isaac and sacrifice him to me right does that make you feel good by the way this is not in most of our uh, this is not in most of our children's bibles Have you ever noticed that children's Bibles are like this big? (laughs) Because we skip a ton of stuff when it comes to kids because a lot of it is really difficult to understand. And so if you're having a hard time understanding, man, welcome to the team. But there it is in black and white. God calls Abraham, take your son, your one and only son Isaac, and sacrifice him. And so Abraham in faith takes Isaac and he takes the wood and he takes the fire and he takes the knife and he's walking his son up the mountain. And the whole whole, uh, account of this in the book of Genesis is so painful. I mean, it's just gut-wrenching. And they get up to the mountain, and Isaac, who who I think was a teenager or a young man at the time, he says this to his father, Dad, I see the elements for the sacrifice, but where is the lamb? Where is the animal? Because in their tradition, in their culture, I know this is weird for us moderns, but in their tradition, it was common to do animal sacrifice to appease the gods. And so Isaac sees this, and he's like, okay, you know, animal sacrifice, where's the animal? And, there's, and, and Abraham says this, God will, for himself, provide the lamb. This is back in Genesis. In the next book over, book of Exodus, you find God, uh, the descendants of Abraham now in captivity, and they are enslaved in need of redemption, right? What do you redeem? You pay the price to redeem someone who's held captive or something that's kept from you, right? They're in need of redemption. Here's this whole people group, Israel, under the evil empire of Pharaoh in Egypt, and they're held captive. They're held slaves, and God promises to redeem his people, and this is how he does it. He sends a messenger named Moses to Pharaoh, who says, let my people get out of here. Pharaoh refuses. And so God sends 10 plagues. Again, this is difficult. Again, we have some ethical questions about all this. Welcome to the wrestling match of faith in Jesus. The last of the plagues is the death of the firstborn son. And this is what is said to all the people in the land that the destroyer is going to come through and kill the firstborn son of every home. Is that devastating? However, there will be mercy on those who take the blood of a lamb and put it over the doorpost of their house, and because of the blood of the lamb over the doorpost the destroyer will pass over that house. Any house under the blood, the destroyer will pass over. Y'all with me? Have you guys ever heard of the holiday called Passover? It's celebrating this event that we see recorded in Exodus. And so the lamb gives its life for the firstborn, for the son. Do you see the exchange? Now, this, and I don't know for many of us, that's really hard to understand, but we don't want to fall into chronological snobbery and think just because it upsets our sensibilities that it is therefore wrong or inherently something that we can't look at. And so you see in that Passover event the animal dying in the place of the human. Do you see it? That idea runs all throughout our Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures this expectation that one day there will be a lamb, a final lamb, an ultimate lamb. And then in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist sees Jesus. Y'all ever heard of Jesus? Okay, good. Sees Jesus. And he doesn't say, there's the life of the world. He doesn't say, there is the Lord of the universe. He puts eyes on Jesus, and this is what he said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This idea of the Jesus gift being himself starts in Genesis and finds its climactic moment in the Gospels and then is celebrated and reiterated all throughout the New Testament. And in fact, if you turn to the last book of your Bible, the book of um, hesitation, the book of, um, it's the thing where you were, what is it? Revelation. That's right. Okay. In the book of Revelation, the last book of your Bible, do you know what Jesus is most frequently referred to as? Do you think it's King, Lord, or Lamb? Good guess. It's Lamb. Jesus is referred to in his celebrated exalted state as the Lamb. In fact, the union of of all of everyone who has turned from their own sin, turned from evil, who've repented and believed the gospel. They've turned to Jesus. Jesus says yes to. He gives to them himself. And the final climactic moment of everyone who's turned from their sin and turned to Jesus, it's called the church. Don't think local church building, just think church family, the family of God. Everyone who's a part of the family of God who's turned from their sins and turned to Jesus, who by the way, everyone who does that, you know what Jesus says to them? Yes, Everyone who wants Jesus gets Jesus. Okay, so the climactic moment of the union of Jesus' family, the church, the sons and daughters of God, and Jesus himself in the eternal state is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why is it that Jesus chose this Lamb image? Because I, I believe that all through, like God has been designing it since before the foundations of the earth that one of the things that he needed to communicate to us was how power actually works in the kingdom of God. And we don't follow a tiger, we follow a lamb. Jesus establishes his kingdom, his rule and reign, his dominion, not by killing everybody he doesn't like, but by allowing his own broken creation to kill him and giving his life as a lamb. So Jesus is the lamb. He's also the life. We'll make this point really quick. Verse uh, uh, 20 through 23. He exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Okay, let's zoom in on this just really briefly. If this didn't happen and Jesus didn't rise from the dead, this is stupid. I want to tell you that the reason, I'll just be personal with you for a minute. The reason that I follow Jesus is not because he was good teacher, is not because I have some sort of religious devotion to my parents' faith, or because I need a job. I wouldn't, probably wouldn't take this one, actually, if it weren't for what I'm about to say. In fact, I know that's a fact. The reason I follow Jesus is because he predicted his death, burial, and resurrection and pulled it off. And I'm going to do what he says. If you can predict your death, burial, and resurrection and three days later pull it off, I'll follow you. Like, I want to do what God in the flesh says to do. I want to trust in what God in the flesh says to trust in. And God in the flesh told me he was going to be crucified at the hands of his own creation, showing himself to be the lamb, and then that he would rise from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death. Jesus can tell me and you, I am the life, because he's the one who went through death and came out the other side in resurrection. The reason I have a hope for my future is not because of some president or king. It's because Jesus came out, went through death and came out the other side and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he is faithful to fulfill his promises to me. And friends, let me just zoom in here. Okay, so so if somebody predicts their own death, burial and resurrection and pulls it off, we're going to do what they say. I think that's a pretty good policy for life. Jesus is, ultimately, is, is finally Lord, and this is part of that grace gift. Remember that the Apostle Paul was using the language of redemption. Who needs to be redeemed? Those who are held captive, those who are held back without someone paying the price. And that act of redemption is the price being paid. Jesus gave his blood, gave his grace gift of himself to redeem you and me from captivity. We are enslaved to the evil within our own heart, to the evil within our community. We are ensnared in broken hearts and broken systems. Look out into the world and tell me if things are broken or not. Look in, now don't answer this. Look into your own heart and tell me if you, like me, see that there is brokenness. We are ensnared by evil out there and in here. And I want you to see what the Apostle Paul says. And friends, I say this to you to give you hope in chaotic times. Oh, my goodness. All right, I'm going to go hard in the paint. Let's see what happens. Farbuck. So this is the Apostle Paul. What's the Apostle Paul doing? He's writing to the Ephesian church. He is meditating on and ruminating on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the grace gift of Jesus being his very self. He's meditating on and ruminating on this idea that Jesus is the lamb and the life and the Lord. And he's trying to apply it to the situation that the Ephesians find themselves in. By the way, the Ephesian church is under the, uh, the rule of an evil empire, subject to pain and torture, subject to the whims of the local governor. And moreover, for many of them, they are at risk of paying a high price for following Jesus. And so this is what Paul says. Pastor Paul, again, applying Jesus to a very real circumstance. Oh, this is so good. I think this is a song. I don't know that for sure, but I think this is either poetry or a song. This is what Paul says. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, and he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Okay, I want to just, we're going to go hard in the paint and then we're going to pray and then we're, that's it. What are you afraid of? What is the thing that you tell God he's not allowed to let happen in your life? who scares you what scenario scares you what power force causes you to tremble we are currently living in a moment in which there is a global pandemic a w- w- the most Uh, the most highly contested election that that I've known of. Fear mongering is at an all-time high. Fear not. For Jesus is not only the Lamb who's given his life for you, and he's not only the life who's risen from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death. He is the Lord. He is far above every ruler and authority. Every. So, remember when I asked the question, what are you afraid of? Who are you afraid of? You guys remember that? Yeah. Great. It was so long ago, I know. we got to take our ginkgo biloba. What are, whatever name or whatever scenario you put in there, I want you to see that it's encapsulated in this next phrase. Far above every ruler, authority, power, dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but also the age to come. He has subjected what under his feet? Y'all tell me. Okay, so there is not one square inch over which Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, the risen Savior, Lord, the lamb who has given his life, there is not one square inch of this cosmos that he does not look at and say, that's mine. Fear not. Whatever it is that we are afraid of, that thing or scenario or person fits squarely in the category of everything. (laughs) And you know what it is for Jesus? It's a footstool. He is far above all that you and I could ever imagine. How much more amazing then is it that this Lord of the cosmos has become the Lamb for you? This king over all of creation took on the form of a servant because he loves you so much. One of the things that I've, I, I don't know if it was an intentional decision or if I found myself just found myself doing it a while back. I started concluding my, my prayers personally and, and publicly for the most part with um, something like this, like Jesus, we know you love us. And we know you're powerful to bring these things about. And and for me, it's just tethering myself to this, that he is the lamb who's given himself and he is the Lord who everything is under his feet. And it's in that wonderful paradigm that I strive to live. And so I'm gonna pray that for you and for me right now. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we see in you that you are the lamb who's given yourself for us. And we are so thankful Jesus, would you help each one of us, even right now, by the power of your spirit, know how we're to reflect that and how we're to respond to that. For some of us, it's simply receiving this gift. For others, it's allowing you to shape our lives into lives that mirror your grace gift. Jesus, we know that you are the life, that we have a hope that is eternal, that we have a hope for our future, that we know that you will fulfill your promises to us. And Jesus, we know and are so thankful that you are the Lord and that there is no power structure on this earth that could separate us from you. And so Jesus, by the power of your spirit, would you show to each of us what that means for us today and this week, that we might be a people of peace centered on your amazing grace gift. Would you continue to shape us, Lord, And Jesus, we cling to you in this season of crisis and chaos knowing that you love us and knowing that you are powerful to bring about your promises towards us. And so we entrust ourselves to you. Church family, just with your eyes closed, if it would suit you, I would ask that you would take your hands and hold them palm up And with your body, and with your mind, and in your heart, just simply say, Jesus, I entrust myself to you. Jesus, we entrust ourselves to you, knowing that you are the lamb, the life, and our Lord. And so it's in your name that we pray, amen, amen. Rich family, I love you so much. More importantly, Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. Let us be a people that live in light of this truth. We'll see you next time.